Hello and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. I am Mark Gunger, the pastor here at Celebration Church. We are in the book of Numbers. We're in the Old Testament. Uh, we went back and decided we were in the New Testament obviously for a while and thought we'd take a quick jump back to just Genesis. But once you got into Genesis, we haven't been able to stop. It's kind of like watching... 24. There's these cliffhangers constantly that leads you to the next thing. So when we got done with Genesis, we went ahead get, went into Exodus so we could see the rest of the story. And uh, these first five books of the Bible put together by Moses is what we've been going through. Uh, we finished Exodus. We breezed through Leviticus because it's mostly just tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of all the rules and regulations of the Old Testament law. Uh, and then we got to the book of Numbers called that because of their, uh, they were numbering the people and getting accounts on, you know, remember they're trying to put together a nation, a new structure, how to worship, how to run government, how to do everything, numbering the people, all these different things. God was putting together this new nation, brought out, it was just a, a, a nation of slaves, they had no structure, they were just all slaves in Egypt, God brings them out of Egypt just in an incredible way and then now is getting them ready to go into the promised land to go take the land uh, that was promised to Abraham Isaac and Jacob so all, all fulfilling of God's promises to them so now we are in the book of Numbers and uh, what we do uh, generally is go verse by verse through the books of the Bible that we're studying although a lot of this we've been skipping over all the Levitical laws and all that because we just don't want to read it. It's too long. And it doesn't really affect us today because we don't live by those. Although there are a lot of books that you can get that really explain those laws and why they believe God had them do those laws and how those ways of worshiping were kind of shadows of the way we worship today and all that kind of stuff. There's people who love to get into that stuff. I am not one of them, so we just skip over it. You can certainly find those and do that on your own. Uh, and, and let me encourage you. Uh, I notice a lot of you don't really bring your Bibles to the Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we don't make a big deal of it on Sunday mornings. Um, but bring your Bible with you on Wednesday nights. So you get a, open it up. Get a sense of what's there and how to read it and see what's in context. And you can run ahead and see what's coming up or back up or double check something that you think maybe I read uh, that wasn't quite right. I mean, really challenge you to be a person of the scripture. So if nothing else, at least it's familiar with you. When you open the Bible, say, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's such and such story. And that's when this happened and that happened and stuff. So let me encourage you to uh, make this about your Bibles on Wednesday nights. Just bring it right with you. Okay, now, we're in Numbers, the 11th chapter. And talking about the children of Israel as, as God is uh, speaking to Moses and he's putting together all the rules and regulations and putting in the structure for this nation of slaves that is now going to become the people of God that's going to eventually bring the Messiah, Jesus. Okay, now... These people, and we've mentioned this several times, and we'll continue to mention it because it never stops. These people were incorrigible. They were unbelievable whiners and complainers. Now, I don't know what the deal was. You know, sometimes, you know, your past can so inflict damage on you that a lot of people seem to carry their wounds of their past, and their past seems to affect them uh, for the rest of their lives. Even today, you know, you can be a born-again Christian, 
a lot of wonderful people who are Christians, but still deal with and overreact to things and, and struggle in their relationships and stuff because of stuff they experienced before. It seems like they're, God's brought them out of the promised land, but they haven't quite gotten free of it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's because they were a nation of slaves and they never had to think for themselves before. Or, and, and even though they suffered and had to work hard, at least it was familiar with them. A lot of times people will be drawn to bad patterns in their lives, even as Christians, uh, for no other reason than it's familiar to them. And because it's familiar to them, that's why some of you struggle so much. I know you, you love God and you've, you've given your heart to Christ and you're coming to church, you're reading the Bible, you're at the Bible study, you want to grow in your faith, but you keep getting sucked back into bad patterns and stuff. Part of that is because of the comfort level of that way of life versus this new way of life, this new way of thinking that we call Christianity in the Bible. Uh, And I understand that. And we'll have all the patience in the world with you. But you want to be careful that you, you get free of that. Don't be like the children of Israel. It's like they couldn't get free. They, No matter what God did for them. And God did incredible things in their lives. Like he's done uh, on an individual basis with, with a lot of you. But uh, they still kept getting pulled back to the old ways of thinking. Uh, They were afraid of faith, afraid of what was going to happen next, and they were whiners and complainers at an astronomical level. God would bless them, and then it wasn't blessed enough. Or God would provide for them, and they'd say, well, okay, but I want something else. And uh, they would say stuff like, oh, I wish we were back in Egypt, and I wish we were dead. And just, you know, here God's trying to bless them, and all they can do is whine and complain, woe is me, life stinks, life stinks, life stinks, why is God picking on me? And God, whoa, really had it up to here with these people. Now, we are in the middle of a story, actually we're getting to the very end of the story, where these guys started complaining about the manna. You know, every day God would provide manna for them. They didn't have to work They didn't have to go to jobs. They didn't have to plow the ground. They didn't have to grow crops or harvest. God just provided magically, as it were, the uh, of every morning they'd wake up and here would be all this food on the ground, this sweet tasting bread that they made into different things and stuff like that. Uh, And it was just free grub, man. It was great, and they didn't have to do anything to earn it. Well. Again, this wasn't all this long that they've already been out of Egypt. We're not talking huge periods of time gone by here. It took almost no time at all. And they started complaining about everything. And one of the things they're complaining about at this point is the manna. I'm tired of the manna. I want something else. Where's the meat? We want some meat. And you remember that Moses was walking through the camp and everybody at their tents were all wailing. (laughs) We want meat. We want meat. And anyway, God really got hacked and said you want meat i'm going to give you a meat up to your eyeballs all right and that's where we pick it up at verse 31 chapter 11 31 in numbers now a wind went out from the lord and drove quail in from the sea and it brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground as far as a day's walk in any direction now stop and think about it. a day's walk in any direction that deep, I mean, it's, uh, this, is, this is amazing. Brought them down all over the place, about three feet from the ground. They're flying through the ground, all these quail and stuff like that. There is, it's, it's like, instead of the plague of locusts, it's almost like a plague of quail flying through the air. It is an amazing thing. 
So all that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. I mean, and all you had to do was just pick a quail out of the air almost. I don't know how they gathered, knock them down with sticks, who knows. But they were just, all this meat comes flying at them. And they're out there just picking it and harvesting, having a good old time. Uh, no one gathered less than 10 homers, it says, which is uh, approximately about 60 bushels. Everybody, 60 bushels. I mean, there was a lot of meat. So God said, you want meat? I'm going to show you meat. And, and again, he's angry because there's such complainers. Uh, it says, then they spread them all out around the camp. And so they're got all this, they're drying out the meat. They're starting to eat it. And <laughs> this next verse says, but while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, God was so hacked at these whiners that the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. So he brought them all the meat that he could handle and then some, and then this big plague uh, uh, you know, came on the people as judgment. Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatava because there they buried the people who had craved uh, other food. And that word means craving. So that's, that's why they called it there. And from there, the people traveled to Hazaroth and stayed there. So that's the end of the whining about meat scenario. Now we're in chapter 12. Now we have another problem. Miriam and Moses began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, the Jews were really only supposed to marry other Jews, and they're supposed to keep it, you know... Uh, in the faith community and stuff like that. They said, well, why did Mar- Moses marry outside of that? Well, you'll remember, Moses ran for his life from Egypt because he had killed the Egyptian, thinking he was setting the people free and everybody turned on him. And he runs away and he's on the backside of the desert for 40 stinking years. And there, he fell in love with a girl and married her uh, from there. So they start criticizing Moses now. And the scenario is basically this. Here you've got this leader, Moses, who has really transformed now into a a rather confident and charismatic leader. You remember in the beginning, he had no confidence. All right, he uh, wouldn't say anything. Uh, He let Aaron say everything. When we see all these movies of Moses standing before Pharaoh and say, let my people go, that's not what happened. Aaron said all that because Moses was too afraid. He just sat in the background and, and just told Aaron what to say. And Aaron would go do all the dramatic stuff and, you know, with the staff and, and whatnot. Uh, but now, more and more, we, we see less of Aaron playing this dramatic role. Where Aaron is now uh, the, uh, the chief priest and they're, they're all part of the priesthood and stuff like that. And Moses has become this r- relatively confident, to say the least, leader charismatic leader the glory of God is shining on his face remember we read last week that when he would stand in the presence of God and come out from prayer his face would just glow like a bulb and it freaked people out and he had to wear a veil over his face otherwise people couldn't even look at him and converse with him I mean this is pretty cool this guy's literally talking with angels and conversing with God as it says face to face now this wasn't literally because we read the time where God said, you can't literally see me because you'd die if you did. But uh, these have got to be angels or other ways that God is communicating to them. But still, in a sense, face to face. He's seeing stuff. 
when he prays and communicates, it's, it's so direct. It's not like when you and I pray. We get before God and we pray and we lift up our voice to God. And in faith, trusting God hears our voice. And there's a lot of faith involved, okay? You know, that we're not just talking to ourselves and that, you know, God is actually hearing and moving. Well, Moses, that's not how he prays. He walks in the tent and there's God. There's angels. There's people sitting talking with him. I mean, it's like, wow. This obviously transforms him. He's this confident now guy leading this nation. Uh, he kicks butt when he needs to kick, kick butt. He's laying out these uh, new rules. And by the way, not all of the Old Testament laws that he's creating here are all God's idea. I know that sounds very, very strange. You say, where do you get that from? Well, we read in the New Testament where there's uh, a couple of scriptures that imply that Moses kind of negotiated some of these rules. And we know from a comment that Jesus said that Moses kind of pushed it and, and did things that God wasn't really even all that crazy about. Specifically, divorce. Uh, Moses, uh, was part of the rules that he came, this is how you get rid of a woman. If you're not happy with her, you divorce her and you give her a letter of, and, and all the rules involved with that. And Jesus comes along and speaks very strongly against divorce. And then the religious leaders of his day went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Right here, Moses said that you could get a divorce. And Jesus, if you'll remember, answered, it says, Moses did that because of your hardness of heart. But from the beginning, it was not that way. I mean, he literally was saying, this is something Moses stuck in just to deal with you stubborn guys. Uh, but this is never what God intended. What does that open the door to? That not everything was a direct command from God. I'm sure someone you know, has to work through each and every one. And what, what ones Moses pushed through, we, we don't know. But, uh, but there's a real partnership that we see between God and Moses. In a sense, that's still exists today now you got to be careful with it you know those of us who've been raised catholic and stuff not as a slam on catholics but i think that they they overreach in this where uh jesus says to peter and those guys he said look whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven there are some things that we actually get to in partnership with god decide on now i say you can go overboard and i think in their particular case they do often is they create stuff that's just so far off the base. It's, 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 you, know, you can't imagine that God is, is working with all of that. But, but there is, they do make a great argument that God, it wasn't all just the church, because there's a lot of stuff that the Bible doesn't say what the church should do in a lot of situations. What God is wanting is a partnership with men and women of faith, the church, the church institution, okay, not some big global church, but just, you know, the, 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 the overall church of Christ, uh, people who are all born again, who love God, it's all considered, we're all considered members of the church. That we work hand in hand with God and we decide some of these things. And I believe, as Jesus said, some of these things that we bind will be bound in heaven. Just because that's what we decide we want to do or loose and loose in he- uh, on earth and in heaven. That same kind of picture we see with Moses here. As he's working with God, working with these angels, negotiating all these things. Anyway, he's very much, Moses is called the lawgiver. He is giving the laws of God and of Moses. Some of it's just Moses, as he has his influence in the deal, and is setting up the structure. Complicated, like no structure I've ever seen, but the structure, nonetheless, of this new nation. And here we got big, confident Moses doing all the stuff. All right, now, if there's one thing anybody... 
who's ever been in my position or ever in any kind of leadership in the church is aware of is that when you are in a strong position people love to criticize you and they will find all kinds of things in order to criticize you and uh, and, and take pot shots at you and stuff like that why? because they either resent that you don't agree with everything they say uh, or they resent that they don't have as much power as the guy in charge or who knows some, some of it's just about ego sometimes it's legitimate and people think they're really fighting for the right thing but you can fight for the right thing in the wrong way <laughs> you know what I'm saying you can fight for, for, for what is a righteous truth but do it in such a way that it poisons it uh, James talks about this in his epistle that you can take Wisdom. People think they're so wise about something. And because they're doing it with such a, with such a divisive heart. That it becomes poisoned from hell. <laughs> you think well how's that possible? It's right. Truth is always truth. Right is always right. Yeah. Kinda. Okay. I mean you can literally poison a, a good cause and a righteous stand. With a divisive, critical, mean, wicked, spirited little heart that your wisdom now becomes not from heaven but from hell. Same point that you could take in a righteous spirit is truth that is upheld. But you can poison it with the attitude. So even though people think they're fighting for the right thing and stuff, they often do it about the wrong way. It becomes very critical and nasty. And you know, you think you're so smart. You think, you know, God's just blessing you. You know, God doesn't just need you. God can use us too and stuff like that. Not that he can't, and no one says that more than me. I mean, God speaks to everybody. But at some point you cross a line where you're just being divisive and critical and you're attacking the leadership. Because you don't like the leadership. But you need to be careful. And look what happens here with, with uh, Miriam and Moses. They're criticizing Moses uh, because he married that one woman. He married that one girl. He shouldn't have married that girl. You know, we're supposed to keep it. You should only be marrying Jews. Why, why, why is he have, I mean, they're picking a... That's the best you can come up with? That you don't approve of, of Moses' choice for a wife? At this point in the game, I mean, for crying out loud. But what are they doing? They're just trying to find a point where they can start to pull down his authority and raise themselves up uh, and give themselves more authority. Uh, Bad, bad place to be. Uh, There's one thing God hates, the Bible says, is a person who causes discord among brothers of the faith. Okay? And while... We don't have any problem. I have no problem with people stating their positions and what they agree with and what they don't agree with and stuff. Uh, what I have a problem is when they get mean-spirited about it and they get just icky about it. And you'll hear me from time to time expose some of these comments that are flying around. And when I do that, these people hate it. Oh my goodness, great. One of the big things people have against me is, boy, he'll, he'll talk about you from the pulpit. You know, I don't mention any names, but they know who they are. For crying out loud, why do I do that? The Bible says to reprove and rebuke. And that's rebuking. And if you're going to go around in a mean spirit, and in a nasty way, in a selfish way, criticize stuff just because you don't approve, dude, I'm going to call you out on it. Okay? It's wrong, and we don't play that game here. All right? We just, you know, everybody can have a say. Not everybody has to think the same. I am not God. God only knows. Everyone needs to be happy. I'm not God. I'd kill us all. 
But I mean, this, this is a, 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 a powerful thing when you start becoming critical in a mean way just for positioning and power. And this is what these guys did. So they're criticizing the lady. And then the next verse he says, well, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? You think Pastor Mark is the only one who hears from God? You think Pastor Mark is the only one who reads the Bible? You know, I know some stuff too, you know. Now, is that true? Yeah. But boy, you need to be careful. Now you're on dangerous ground. Now you're just being mean and nasty. And you're becoming arrogant. Hasn't he also spoken through us? Well, yeah. But when you're with this kind of attitude, you're attacking leadership and pointing out little nitpicky things that you don't approve of, that he shouldn't have, and technically, he shouldn't have married the lady. But he did. God wasn't mad about it, you know, even though the new law says don't marry outside the faith. Someone can say, well, you're being hypocritical, you know, and who thinks God always got to talk to him, he talks to us too. Anyway, the Lord heard this, and it wasn't more so much that he heard it as he saw the spirit that it was in. Which is just a mean, critical spirit. Now, this next verse. Now, now, and it's parentheses. Now, Moses was a very humble man. More humble than anyone on the face of the earth. (laughs) That's a really funny verse. Because you know who wrote that? Moses. (laughs) Isn't that funny? (laughs) Pastor Mark is the most humble man. Just ask me, you know. Uh, But, you know, he's just being honest. he, He was trying to underscore, look, I am not an arrogant guy. He inserts that in there writes about himself. Moses was one of the humblest guys on earth. He wasn't trying to prove anything. And if you'll remember in the beginning, he didn't want any part of this. He didn't want, he just, he he, he was all for God, all for the people being free. He just didn't want to do it. He didn't want to be a leader. So he's got a humble heart. All right. Now, picking it up, verse four. Now, at once the Lord says to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out of, come out to the tent of the meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. Oftentimes prophets, when they speak, are seeing visions and dreams and and, and the implication here is they're they're getting bits and pieces of the picture they don't always see the whole picture when God speaks to people a lot of times it's just in bits and pieces And, and that's why the Bible says in the New Testament Paul said encourage people the prophets to speak let them speak if you think you have something that God's put on your heart come talk to me come talk to Pastor Nathan you can come talk to the leadership we encourage that we do not discourage it if someone says listen I really feel God is saying something Okay, we're listening. Okay, the Bible says let the prophets speak, but then you've got to judge what they said. You've got to evaluate what they said. Which a lot of prophets hate that because they think that they're God and as soon as they say it, you've got to do it. No, 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 no. The Bible says they're seeing it in bits and pieces. We need to, as leaders, kind of sift through all of that. So he's, he's, so he's pointing out, this is what God says. This is how I speak to prophets. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I don't dilly-daddle with him. I don't give him bits and pieces. Okay? With him, in verse 8, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. Again, those of you who have prophetic gifts or who are really into, 
you know, God's speaking to you about different things and stuff. Remember, be humble. Don't be arrogant. Speak to us as you feel God's putting something on your heart. Okay? But don't be arrogant about your own opinions about what you feel God is saying. God speaks to prophets in riddles. Not like, you know, how many things does it take to be in, you know, some, some complicated riddle like that. But just that it's in bits and pieces. You're not seeing the whole picture all the time. Okay? But Moses sees the form of the Lord. Why were you not afraid then to speak against my servant Moses? So what he's basically saying, look, I have anointed this guy. I have given this man a special gift. I have a special relationship and communicate with this man. And you are treating him disrespectfully. Why would you do that? Uh, Then the anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy and whoa I mean it freaks him out now why just Miriam and not Aaron I can only presume it's because Miriam was egging on the thing you always have an instigator there's always somebody who gets other people inflamed about stupid stuff that does not matter to this day in churches all across America and we see that spirit pop up from time to time because I'm very quick to hit it you know I'm one of these mole whackers you know that game where moles pop up out and you hit it I'm kind of a mole whacker and again some people think I'm too harsh with my mole whacking but I hate moles this is ridiculous for crying out loud let's not play this stupid game and uh, so but there's always an instigator that gets other people upset and God is going to deal with that instigator at some point. You need to be very, very careful. And uh, what happened is God was furious at them because they treated the man of God disrespectfully and in a mean spirit. And nitpicking, when they got no business doing that, strikes Miriam, who probably, obviously would have been the instigator on the whole line of thought here, and she's covered with leprosy. Well, Aaron freaks out and he says to Moses and he pleads for her. He says, please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. It's kind of gross, but uh, that's what it would be like with leprosy. It just eats away at you. So then Moses cried out to the Lord, oh God, please heal her. You got to hand it to Moses. I mean, you'd think Moses would have been hacked off, right? These guys were checking his character. But ultimately, it was Moses who steps in and pleads to God to turn his hand of anger away from her. Well, then the Lord, who just obviously has this great relationship with Moses, says, Well, if her, sp- if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been disgraced at least for seven days? So confine her outside the camp for seven days, and after that, she can be brought back. So Miriam, so what he's saying is, I'll heal her, but she's got to have some kind of punishment here. This cannot go unpunished. All right? You want to be careful, by the way. Don't get caught up in these kinds of things. Again, not that you can't talk to us about stuff or disagree with us about stuff, but there is a definite line that goes from concerns to just being mean and critical and nasty. And don't let some other idiot inflame you. Okay? Be careful who you listen to. That's getting you all worked up. You know what I'm talking about? You're fine and then someone else starts telling you something. Also, now you're all mad. 
You weren't mad in the first place. You weren't even thinking about it. But they made you mad. When you start feeling yourself getting all freaked out by that, stop for crying out loud. Grab yourself. Stick your head in the toilet and give yourself a swirly or whatever you got to do. Snap out of it. Okay? You don't have to get, when you can tell, someone else is just getting you freaked out and angry because they're talking about something. Instigator, you're going to get sucked into this problem. Don't do that. Again, you can come with problems, criticisms, concerns all day long. But better you come directly and talk them throughout with us so we can find solutions instead of inflaming other people or letting them get you upset. And by the way, usually the people who hear from the instigator get much more upset than the person who started it in the first place. They're really not all that upset. They're just being mean little rats. Watch out for that. Don't get caught up in that nonsense. So anyway, God says, listen, she's got to pay some kind of price. So they stuck her outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. So everybody had to wait. We can't move. How come we're not moving? Why are we staying here? Miriam got in trouble. She's outside the camp for seven days. We've got to wait for her to come back in. So she comes back in, and obviously God had healed her. And after that, the people left Hezeroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. So that's the story of Miriam and Aaron when they started getting critical about Moses. Good lessons in all of that. Now, chapter 13. Now we are about to encounter a major biblical moment. Okay, and I try to be very careful to stress to you. Watch this. Pay attention to this. Because this is a turning point uh, in, in biblical history. And every once in a while you get those boom, boom, boom. And I've been trying to point those out. And this is one of them. This is now how things get skewed and messed up. Remember, God has brought the people out, a nation of slaves, in miraculous Hochimama, powerful way. He's brought them. He's a st- in the midst of their whining and complaining. He's giving them structure and creating a new nation. And now he's taken them. And now let's go get that land. Let's remember, all this is about going and getting the land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's why it's called the promised land. He says, you're going to go in there and you're going to have to fight for it. But I will be with you. And you are going to kick some serious butt because the people there are so wicked. And we talked about it last week. These guys were sacrificing their uh, own children to these gods and involved in sex with animals and all kinds of perversions. I mean, just... Enough to make a normal person puke. Uh, now I skipped over half of it. Uh, this is what these people were guilty of. And judgment was coming. God is now sending them to the promised land. But they don't go in. Remember they wind up wandering, wandering around in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years. A trip that should have taken hardly any time at all. They wound up just going round and round and round and round and just living out in the middle of a desert this huge nation which God still protected which we will see that God still provided for which we will see still amazing but why did they wind up going around and round for 40 years instead of going into the promised land what was the big delay what we're about to see is what set that off this is what ticked God off so bad with these people that he stuck them out in the middle of the desert and they just wandered around. And we'll even find out why it was 40 years, what God's purpose was. 
But now let's take a look at the story and see what happened. How did they miss it? How did they blow it at such a large scale? Okay? So, chapter 13. So God says to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert at Paran, all of the leaders of the Israelites. And these are their names. And we go through the whole name from each tribe, this guy and that guy and that guy. You can read it. I'm not going to read it. Okay, so all these guys get together and they are now going into the land. And they're supposed to spy out the land. They're supposed to check it out. And they, they went out and they entered that land of Canaan and they start seeing all the incredible blessings that are there. The land that was flowing with milk and honey, talking about the prosperity. That's what they call it. The man, land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land. This, was, this is like primo real estate in the world at this time. It doesn't get any better than this place. And, uh, but at the same time, they also saw some of the people that they were going to have to fight. And some of the nations they were going to have to conquer. And uh, so they're all going to go check this out. So those were the names of the men. So Moses sent them out, verse 17, to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Uh, what kind of land do they live in? Is it a good or, or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It, this was the season for the first ripe grapes. So he said, bring back some samples. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab uh, toward Libo Hamath. There they went through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Shishiite, and all these descendants of Anak lived. Now, the reason why they're, they're mentioning these guys, descendants of Anak, Anak was like this you know, really strong uh, presence. Now, Hebron had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. I don't know what they're talking about. Anyway, moving on. Uh, when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch b- bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. That's how big uh, the grapes were from the single thing. The two guys had to carry this branch uh, along with some pomegranates and figs. The, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off from there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. So for 40 days... They're going on checking everything out. This was the same period of time Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments. Because when he came back, they were dancing around a cow like a bunch of idiots. But uh, they had moved on from that. You know, there's some discipline now. So they're waiting for 40 days while these guys go check everything out. So, now they come back. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea. And along the Jordan. Then Caleb, 
who was one of the guys who went in with them, Caleb and Joshua, there were these guys and Caleb and Joshua were two of the guys that went with them. We point them out. Joshua, remember, was Moses' assistant as a young man. He eventually, after Moses dies, goes on and uh, becomes uh, the leader of, of the children of Israel. In fact, after these first five books, the next book is called the book of Joshua. This is this Joshua guy. And then Caleb was the other guy. Two, two of them that went with them. And Caleb speaks up now. He silences the people before Moses and said, Listen, we should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. So these guys come and they give this great report. Look, this place is awesome. Wait till you check this place out. But, holy cow, descendants of Anak, this big you know, guy are there and all these powerful nations. And, oh man, they're fortified cities. They're basically trying to instill fear into the people. But Caleb speaks up and says, we can do it. We can go in there and we can take this from them. But the men who had gone up with him said the opposite. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. It'll eat you alive. That's how many dangers are out there. And these people are so strong. That... <laughs> I have to be careful with my sound effects there. <laughs> As I choke to death at the pulpit. Anyway, it sucks them up. All the people we saw there are of great size. And we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. These, you know, they come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I mean, we're just little guys. We're just little, little, many people. They're huge guys, man. These guys walking around strong, physical specimens. They looked, we look, we're like grasshoppers to these guys. All right? Again, they are instilling fear. So Caleb, and we will see Joshua with them, are saying, Let's go. We can do this. And certainly Moses is leading them and giving them promises of God. Yeah, we can do this. We can take this. But then these other little weasels were all crying and whining. We can't. It's too much. It's too much. We can't do it. Listen, there's people like that all the time. You come into a situation, you're trying to have faith, you lay out a vision for the people, and this is, we're going to go do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to trust God, and we're going to grow, and we're going to expand, and it's amazing how many people come back with, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. It'll never work. It'll never work. I mean, they're just negative people. Lots of negative people in the world, lots of negative people, even in the church, who are afraid of stepping out in faith. Um, They're afraid that things won't work. And rather than joining in a spirit of let's trust God and believe God and follow God's commands and change the world. What they do instead is give all the list of reasons why we can't do it. So we pick it up in verse 14. This negative attitude poisons everybody. And by the way, it's interesting how quickly negative will spread over positive. It's quite discouraging, quite frankly. You know, here these guys are saying, man, we can do it. Let's go change the world. Praise God, we can make this stuff happen. They heard that message, but the message they locked into was the guys whining, saying, we'll never make it. We'll never make it. And of course, these guys obviously were whiners anyway, so they locked 
latched right on to that message. And all that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. <laughs> These people were loud white wailers. I don't know what their deal was. Just like Moses walking around, everybody's just wailing. We don't have any meat. I want a hamburger. Oh! These guys were just very dramatic in their emotions for crying out loud. Seriously dysfunctional people. So anyway, now they're all crying. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. We can't do it. We can't do it. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said, Oh, if we were, only if we'd have died in Egypt. (laughs) I wish we were dead. I wish we were dead. By the way, I know sometimes people get really frustrated in their faith. And sometimes you think, Oh man, I just wish I was dead. When you hear those thoughts flying through your mind, you stop. Don't think that way. That is an insult to God. I get it, you're frustrated. I know life is hard. You feel like everything's against you. But when you get into this pity party of I wish I was dead, you are in a bad place. Do not follow these people into that kind of place. All right? If only we'd have died in Egypt or in this desert. I wish we were dead here. You know, I wanted to die in Egypt, but I'd be happy to die here. Up to this point, they were all whining to die in Egypt. Now they're happy just to die here. What they don't want to do is go there. Egypt. Oh, I loved Egypt. Oh, sure, you were slaves there. It was destroying you, but you somehow still craved Egypt. And now this stupid desert you're in, well, at least it's something I know. It's something I feel comfortable with. And make no mistake, it's very easy for people to get caught up in what they're familiar with and not wanting to step out in faith. So now they're at least at the point, not only would they want Egypt, up to this point they were crying to go home and die in Egypt. Now they're just crying, let me die here. Okay? But whatever you do, whatever you do, Pastor, don't take us in that new direction. We've never gone in that direction before. I don't know if it will ever work. I don't know how you can have that kind of direction. I've never heard of such a thing like this. How can you have churches with TV screens and satellite? It'll never work. Afraid, fearful. They were just all paranoid. They didn't want to take a step of faith to trust God. All they wanted was what was familiar to them. There's people, for crying out loud, I talked about this in a recent message. But, uh, you know, those people, they come to church and somebody took the seat that they usually sit in. They get mad. You talk about, they don't want to change anything. They want everything. I know of churches, we don't have that around here, thank God, better not have it. But I know of churches, they don't want to grow. They don't want new people coming to find Christ. Because they make everything uncomfortable. They take our seats. They, they, they do this. They, they take too many resources. We don't want to help these poor people because now we're wasting time on them and I want you to spend time with me. Pastor, you know, you used to come over and visit us all the time but now you don't do it because of all these new people. They literally fight the power of God. They literally fight the gospel from going out and changing lives. They don't want new people coming into their church, into their churches because they don't want to be inconvenienced. Heaven forbid. Now, if you can do everything like that and not inconvenience us, oh, then we're good. But they know at some point they'll have to get challenged. They won't have a hard time finding parking spaces. All this terrible inconvenience. They're literally against growing and changing people's lives because they're so selfish. Don't go there. I don't care. And I I thank God this church doesn't think in those terms. You know, I know everybody likes their little seats, but I'm sure if, you know, 500 new people show up on Sunday morning wanting to find Christ... The vast majority of you guys, even though you'll be displaced from your comfortable spots, would be going, praise God, and you'd be celebrating with us on that. That's the kind of attitude that we need. 
But these people didn't have it. All they could see was the fear. And they just couldn't see the faith. And this is going to lead to God getting so hacked that he refuses to let them in and makes them walk around for 40 years. You wanted to die in the desert? All right. Beware what you wish for. Because that's exactly what happened to these guys. God made them wander around till they died off and the next generation went in, which we will see in more detail when we pick it up again next week. See you then. Take a deep breath. Wow. (laughs) I'm challenged. How about you? Praise God. Good stuff. Good stuff. It's good to be in God's Word and uh, have God speaking to us in good ways. Praise God. Our ushers are coming tonight. Um, We always close our service with an opportunity to give to God, to live in the realm of faith. I know uh, some of you, uh, this is your Sunday uh, in midweek, and this is your chance to give as well. We're going to have a word of prayer, and um, uh, I'll tell you, tonight I was, I was challenged. I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, let's have, let's have 500 people walk through the door. In fact, I think we've already had that happen. Uh, <laughs> and we sent some of them to the west side, and some in the cafe, and they keep coming through the doors, and good things are happening. And Stevens Point, I think they had about 400 a few weeks ago. In their service, things are happening. That means God is moving. Amen? Let's, let's give Him the glory. Father, we, just, we give in faith tonight because this is how you set things up. Lord, we serve. We give of ourselves. Lord, literally, when we can't see, the eyes of faith can see. And so we want to see with your eyes. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. And cause us to be the kind of people of God that grab a hold of your vision for this region. And we want to be the catalyst. We want to be a part of God's people that are moving and shaking uh, and, and doing kingdom things for the purposes of God. Take this time. Bless every person in this place. Cause us to see you big, to provide for every person's need. There's someone here tonight needing a job. There's someone here tonight needing to pay a bill. Father, Open the eyes of our hearts and let us see your provision. We believe you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you worship.